it can only spot the first timers using the app. But that's why we're gracious and uh, conscientious and thankful for everyone's time. Oh no, this should be fun, man. This is uh this is new. Welcome aboard, all that stuff. You have an announcement to make, so I'm gonna give you the give you the floor. <laughs> Thank you, man. Well, first of all, um, for those who don't know, my guest Vince Goodwill has been bringing it at Yahoo Sports for a little while now, a few seasons, um, and it's it's an honor to join him and a really great editorial staff and some other great writers. Um, Coming up for, you know, we got at least a couple of seasons here. Um, and I, you know, I spent some time at Sports Illustrated. The last couple of years of BR were very um, rewarding. Um, but Yahoo, man, from my little interaction so far, even like the IT people that have been helping me get set up on my Workday account and my company computer and all that type of stuff, pretty much everyone's been there for like over a decade and has just talked about how great the company is. Um, and I, for all that aside, the, the, the freedom and the flexibility to be able to go out and just report and provide details and context that I think are important and necessary and not necessarily needing to, to race to be first on things has been something that I've really been thinking about for the last couple of months, let alone before all the eBay Udoka shit hit the fan. Um, and we're going to get into all that because I had a lot of honestly, like emotional and um, pretty um, just like charged conversations with a lot of people around the league about how this situation unfolded um, on social media. Um, and part of why I am so excited to be part of this team is, is the, the power of the pen that you have brought, sir. Um, especially I mean, that Robert Sarver column you wrote, kind of outlaying exactly what was going to happen or how it could have happened. Um, and and you no, know, you you got a really poignant way to kind of illustrate exactly what's really boiling beneath the surface from just a sheer gather on the fire, folks. Let me tell you what's going on, which I don't have that capability. So I I'm excited to see how we can kind of blend some styles up here. Well, to be perfectly honest, again, and welcome aboard, just, you know, to say that formally and publicly and everything else. Um, but you, I don't know. I don't know if I had that gift until I came here and I guess developed it and grew and evolved and everything else is kind of a work work in progress. But um, I appreciate the compliment on, on the Sarver column. I think, you know, we all have different strengths, especially, you know, having Dan Devine uh, join us. Yeah. We already got Chris, Kristen Peake, who's who's a beast on uh you know on on the rep on the prep scene and everything else so you know hopefully we'll you know we're putting together a good team where everybody has their specialty and we can still work together and you know what i mean blend our talents and gifts uh to do something really special and like you said the support you know at yahoo like the editors the people that the people that people don't see um really make uh-huh. this all work um they've been very very supportive you know, for a, a long time, you know what I mean? A long time. So um, I look forward to working with you, man. I look forward to being able to hash things out in different forms and everything else. And like, I've been on, I was on vacation when the email Udoka stuff broke and I was like on an yeah. actual vacation where, you know, I was, I was trying to, I was supposed to not do anything work related. Mm-hmm. So I haven't written, haven't said anything, you know what I mean? So it's, I'm, I'm curious how even this discussion is going to lay itself yeah. out, Jake. You know, just because all the too. discussions I've been having <laughs> has been off wax, like you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you can speak a little more freely, a little more, you know, raw, so to speak. So we're going to have to uh, find the right filter uh, to have the yeah. discussion today. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start it off by saying this. And we'll, we'll go right to email first and we'll, we'll wrap it up with Phoenix, I guess. Um, so, look, I had our, our, our managing editor, Johnny Ludden, told me at one point during our process of conversations and whatever to, to get me from A to B and B being uh, having this conversation with you with a teammate and said to me, basically, I don't care if you ever break news ever again. I want you to get back to 
the feature writing, the actual investigative, not even investigative, but it's like taking the time with a microscope to really get details that are important and provide clarity to the public. Um, and I, my favorite part of this job is getting to talk to people, right? And I think a lot of what our industry has become has forgotten the fact that we are covering people at the end of the day. And that can sound so kindergarten and corny and what have you, but it's fucking true, man. And like the Boston situation, it's not just Emi Udoka and the, you know, victims involved or whatever the correct terminology is. Honestly, I haven't made a call about it yet. I ha- I mean, there, I've, I've had conversations with people, but I haven't called anyone uh, around the situation, let's say, because frankly, like, it's just, it wasn't time. Like, I had my last weekend before we started this. And also, you know, it's been two months since I've written an article. My, my, my contract with BR was up on July 31st, and we're figuring stuff out from there. And I traveled a bit, saw some friends here and there. I've taken the last two months kind of sharpening my pencil, if you will, of thinking exactly how I want to approach this role moving forward. And the thinking I had had started with a thought about Lonzo Ball in Chicago. And it's kind of been validated both by how the emails thing unfolded, but also with what's happened with Lonzo and that. I had heard about maybe I, I I would assume you'd heard some things about the scenes too about how Lonzo's knees are really bad, and for a moment when I like as it was getting some someone said something to me about it at some point post summer league, I was like you should be the first one to say Lonzo might miss the whole year, and I was like man that's not like a fun thing to do I'm sure Lonzo's hurting right now I'm sure the Bulls front office that got an opportunity finally to, to run things. And Billy Donovan has however many years of security in his coaching reign there in Chicago. And they, they spend, you know, the cap is finite, right? They spend a lot of resources on Lonzo. And he's a, by all accounts, a good kid, a hard worker, and just hasn't worked out. And that situation must be tough. And sure enough, it comes out, he's struggling to walk upstairs and everyone there just feels so bad for the kid. And I had a thought along the way these last couple of weeks of how, how can we try to break the news in a sense of Lonzo's knees are so troublesome, he might miss the season through more of a human element and more of a featurey side of things where we can talk to these people involved and share their story and share their struggle that they're going through. And, and relate to players and um, and, and team executives and team people um, about what they're going through as a human to human readers, right? Um, then the email stuff came about, and I was packing up for a camping trip over this weekend when the news first broke, and I just I, I flashed back to where. I was when I got wind of Gerson being fired in Minnesota a year ago and he was fired and I found out why at first, but I kind of held the bullet cause I wanted to make sure I, I gathered some details. Um, but like I tried to report out that Sachin Gupta was going to be the interim as quickly as I could because that was a transactional thing that happened. But then in learning about, Gerson's relationship with a team employee. I had a whole long day in debate with the editorial staff at BR about how to go about it. Do we protect her identity? Because she's not a public figure. What's the correct order of operations to go through with Minnesota? And you know, I had I had obtained the photo evidence that Minnesota had obtained of them kissing in public at a soccer game. Like I I brought all the info to team PR to say, Hey, like I'm running this story. It's time for you to, it's all, it's fair for me. It's only fair for me to uh, come bring you an opportunity to comment on it. And I did present it to them. Like it's time for you to answer me or I'm going to run this. Like I, I even had a moment in the very first breaking of the email stuff of man, 
I kind of screwed that up. I didn't handle that situation with as much compassion as I could have for considering the fact that the person who was involved with Gerson was the former head of the PR department. And there was, you know, a shifting of plates in, in, in that whole area. And I was asking that department for comment. Like I wasn't necessarily as empathetic to that situation as I could have been. And I think with Boston, like people forget about, and don't forget about, but a turn of phrase, forget about the, the, the people who are truly hurt by the situation. Ime Udoka, in theory, losing his job or being suspended for a year does also impact like 20 people who he hired to be on his coaching staff and their future is in flux. And all, all these players who were in contract years and what have you and the, and, and the ancillary people around the situation that I just don't think get considered enough in a race to put out info about X team and this incident. So I don't know. I'll, I'll wrap this up by saying like, I, I kind of feel liberated that Yahoo is going to let us or is going to let me and how let you take a broom and, and, and sift through all the dust at, at the right pace at, at the right time and be considerate of all angles, because I think it's really lacking in our business right now. Well, I think, and you make a great point. So much of, of um, so much of our business now is about who broke the story and just the, the detail, just that initial detail, who got traded, who got signed. And then five minutes later, it's on to the next, you know, transaction, the next thing or the analysis of, you know, what it means and not necessarily, you know, the saying is the devil, the devil's in the details. Mm-hmm. And um, not, it's not even that you, you get lost behind it, but Twitter has reprioritized what this business can be as opposed to maybe what it we could do better at. Like, I think there's a, I think there's a place for all of those things. I think we've gotten very siloed and not just NBA journalism, but just journalism, sports journalism as a whole. Like I could, you could name a journalist, a sports journalist, and you could probably sum them up with one word, like name association. You could literally, you know, if I just picked a person, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's such and such. You know what I mean? As opposed to that person being able to do multiple things or being great at multiple things has been more or less. Or being able to say, oh, he's boys with this GM. That's why he's getting that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. And the, the relationship, the the relationships, you know, have gotten. I don't know what the proper word is. I don't even know if, if there is a proper word, but, you know, it, it's become such a relationship heavy business. Like you have to have them. Um, yeah you know, you, you must, you can't survive. Like it's the water in which you, you drink, uh, in this business, you can't operate, uh, from the outside looking in and expect to have a level of insight. Even someone like me, who I feel like I can provide perspective and sort of zoom in and zoom out. It's still a level of information that, you know what I mean? That if I'm coming, I'm coming with informed, yeah. Uh, informed perspective. I'm not just shooting, you know, it's not just a puff of white smoke coming down from the, from the chapel and, you know, you know, Vinny has, Vinny has risen again. It's not that type of thing. <laughs> uh, you know, I just, I'm just not usually, you know, the one that's going to try to break the story. Like it doesn't mean that much to me and you kind of know who does it and, and kind of the process and what, how it happens and everything else. And that's, that's cool. Um, but yeah, it, it, and there's a lacking, sometimes you feel like the soul of it, uh, is a little bit removed, but that's where, you know, if the soul of it is a little bit removed, that's where you can come in and bring some soul. You can bring some flavor. You can bring some, some texture to these, some character to the characters, um, that, that we cover a lot. So, yeah. And, you know, you hear things, you hear rumors all the time. You, you, when you, when you're in constant communication with be it players, agents, GMs, you know, yeah. coaches, whomever, like you wind up hearing a bunch of things that, you know, 10% of them wind up being actually true. So you just kind of bank it and pocket it and, you know, see how, you know, everything sort of develops and you don't take any joy out of doom and gloom because this is, you know, in the case of Lonzo Ball, that's someone's, you know, livelihood. That's so- something he's worked, 
very, very hard for for a very long time. Don't think about him, his family, his his dad, whatever. You know what I mean? Though that is a level of investment, uh, a level of sweat equity, a level of actual real life equity. You know that someone puts into something, so you don't take a joy out of it. It is a harsh reality that comes to it, yeah. right? That it's a business. you know, it, it's a business, and you know the rules when you get in. You know what I mean? You know the rules to which you play and it's it is soulless a lot of times it is heartless and ruthless and sometimes you're on the positive end of being of the heartless and ruthlessness of yeah. it you know what i mean that's just how that's just how it goes so yeah when you go to when you go to the boston stuff and how some of the details came out how it sort of was a slow drip and you're like uh it doesn't quite feel it doesn't quite necessarily feel great. You understand why the details unfolded the way they unfolded, but you also understand what that was going to do on the back end with all the speculation, some of the innocent parties being, you know, trying to people trying to play Twitter detectives or, you know, nonsense like that, that is totally unfair, you know, to people. And where's the line between um, where's the line between public, publicly sort of positioned franchise private citizen you know things like that and i still don't to some degree don't really know where all that sits you know it's it's a value judgment every writer every journalist every commentator has to make you know for themselves but i think in a way these couple of cases whether it's sarver or or the email yudoka stuff it's kind of laid bare where the business is where the field is right now and maybe we can hopefully you can kind of recenter it and make some sense out of nonsense but sometimes you can't make sense out of nonsense yeah i think part of what makes it hard is that there's no there's no there's no there's no rubric to follow there's no correct answer right it it is a judgment call like you said but i don't know if i Let's 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 play a little exercise here, and like th- this is the pitch I would have made to you if you were Celtics PR, and I had found, or or even you know email representation, whatever, if I had found out about this ahead of time, um, I would have said something to the effect of, "Look, this is a highly, highly, highly private and sensitive situation. Obviously, for this for for Udoka to be suspended for a year." I mean, again, I have not made the necessary calls to speak so educatedly about this subject, about what transpired, but that that just sets the tone of the degree of what happened there, right? And I recognize that the people involved, there's, there's, there's a lot of privacy issues that need to be considered first and foremost from the Celtics side of things. However, the Celtics are a global business that is synonymous with winning and success and glory. And they just were up 2-1 in the NBA Finals with a young team that's supposed to be on the rise. And a a large reason of that is because of this young first-year head coach who, you know, got a lot of credit for turning around this team mid-season and building them into a young contender right before our eyes. And that guy did something pretty bad to the point where he's not going to be here for a year. You're going to have to communicate that somehow to your fan base. From the from a public trust standpoint that people talk about, if you want to look at it that way, or just from a sheer business standpoint. So you're going to have to say something, right? Which obviously they knew because of the public uh, or the, the press conference they held with Brad Stevens and Rick Grossbeck. But there's a way to share some type of truth that isn't intended to just distort facts while also protecting the people involved. Because I think that's a big theme that I've been reflecting on. Like my anonymous sourcing that I've always tried to do or, or whenever I have, whenever it's been required to use anonymous sourcing, which unfortunately is all the fucking time because no one wants to put their name on things. Um, or when you're choosing certain word choices about things to protect the situation and protect people involved. To me, that's never been to not show the work and to 
steer and benefit certain people, right? Because at the end of the day, I truly do believe we are writing the first draft of history, even though this is basketball we're talking about. And it's not government or international trade or what have you. Like, we do have a responsibility, I think, in getting this as accurate as we can. And I think that there's been a lot of loss in serving and who we're serving as journalists and members of the news media. And we're not, we're like, in my opinion, like, we're not here to, to put a, a number on the Twitter scoreboard or to appease or impress our colleagues. Like, we're here to tell the public something that they need to know while doing the necessary things to maintain the relationships behind the scene, but also be respectful to the human lives involved behind the scenes as well. So to me, that line like can be, can be balanced. And I just, I feel like that was what, that's how I would approach it from the beginning. Do you think that would have even been received? Well, do you think that's even possible to, to conduct it that way? <laughs> I think ideally, I ideally, you you'd love to do that, but every story you write sets up for your next story. Sure. It, it's never it's never emptying the clip because you got nothing to lose. You don't have to live or work for tomorrow. You know, like I have a there's there's a saying that I I use whenever um, I write something that isn't as flattering to a particular subject. And, you know, you write something, you know, you show up in the locker room the next day, whatever it is, you show up. Yeah. Um, I never throw the rock and hide my hand. And now that we're back in locker rooms, it's definitely, it's definitely going to be that accountability. But my saying usually is, don't be upset about what I wrote. Be happy about what I didn't. And for the uninitiated, and I think it certainly applies with Ime Udoka, what's been reported is maybe 10 or 15% of either a what's been rumored or even, you know, backdoor confirmed or, you know what I mean? Just, just as a whole. And then you, and you always ask the question, what does the public, you know, need to know? Like it's, we're in sports and it's the toy department and everything else. I came up, but I came up in newspapers and that was always the thing when approaching these hairy situations is what does the public need to know? You know, what is, you know, what's critical here? And usually it comes in that 10 or 15 or 20% or some small amount. A lot of the other things is just, you know, shrubbery details. You can put all of it in there, but yeah, you know, it, it's always, you know, the facts, the things that's pertinent to the story. And I don't, for one, I don't think that we're done with this email Udoka thing. Let me be perfectly honest. And I think there's more twists to turn. Um, but I think in general, you know, even things that I've, I've gathered quietly or people have called me on or whatever, whether it's, whether it's rumored or whether it's been confirmed or whatever, it's a such a small amount compared to what's already been put out there. And that's kind of how you make those determinations of, you know, approaching a, approaching a story like this in, just in a general sense. Like, what, what do people need to know and how does this information advance, this new information that you may come across, advance the story? Because everything that we've heard since then potentially could advance the story. It's just a matter of, does the public need to know it? Does it, does it advance the bigger picture and the smaller, minute picture? Yeah, and this is a this is a total aside because I wanted to say this at the top. <laughs> um, oh no, this, I, I can blend it back in here. I, I feel like I feel like the 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 chase to be first on this stuff too. Like now that we're here, now that we're now that we're we're, we're Yahoo boys. There's not like that. Maybe I, mean, I don't want to speak for myself too too much. I, I, I don't want to speak for I don't want to speak for you too too much, but. I mean, want to do good work, want to continue fighting the good fight, but the chip on my shoulder of like someone believing me is kind of gone, right? And um, I think from this uh, proverbial mountaintop, if you will, like to look back at the fight to like report your way into relevance, um, 
I do want to say that I remember when you moved to New York and you were around Barclays, I was kind of like, who is this guy, Vince Goodwill, coming to my city, coming to like be a competitor. And I feel like younger people in our business look at everyone who's ahead of them as like a competitor and someone that they got to go and kill. And it's just not that. Like I have found so much uh, benefit, I guess, in viewing everyone as a colleague and people that I can help and they can help me and we can all learn from each other and make each other better. And I want, I don't know why that can't be applied to the way we interact with telling these stories um, in terms of helping people help us not help them, but communicate a message that the public needs to know, but that's not in like a, a PR bullshit, like, like blurring of actual facts in order to paint a more appropriate narrative for someone's, for some stakeholder involved. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. That's my last kind of thought on the media approach here, because um, I think all that's left to be said now is just back it up in the work that I and we are going to do. Yeah, it's, it's it, it'll be in. I think everything, everything evolves. Like nothing stays the same. You yeah. know, the business, yeah. the business will evolve and grow. You know, because you know, there's there's more eyeballs. Uh, of course, the competition is going to be there. The competition to do good work. The competition to be first. The competition to right, take the right, you know, perspective or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like all those things exist. Like you're all competitive people. I didn't know that you looked at me like that when I was in Barclays. I hope I I thought that I hate New York T-shirt that I was wearing every time <laughs> I came in there should have let you know that I I wasn't planning on being there long. But um, that's the thing, man. I saw you I saw you covering Media Day in Brooklyn the other day. I was like, yo, you can't shit on my city and then be hanging out at Media Day like it's all good. I love I love visiting New York because <laughs> I don't have to pay New York rent prices. I that there way I go. can I can. I can go to the restaurants and I can kick it. And, you know, I got, you know, one of my oldest, my oldest friend, like since I've known since I was nine years old, he lives in New York, you know? So I, I'll, I'll take any excuse to go there except, you, you know, unless you're sending me there to watch the Knicks or something, you know what I mean? That's like a chore, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah. That is I, a big I, plight I think... of being an NBA writer living in New York. You have to deal with Knicks fans who are hoping that, they, that you can give them hope that their team will be good this year. And I am not able to do that. <laughs> no, I deal with the Knicks fans who who dislike the fact that I call out James Dolan and Leon Rose for not being publicly accountable. And they basically, Knicks fans sound like a certain segment of society that I will not name because I don't need those people in my mentions or, or in you, <laughs> but I'm sure you know exactly what segment of folks that I'm referring to that view the media as the enemy of enemy of the state. Correct. That's that's who that's who Nick fans are. So I I hope even with your eternal uh, Nick New York love that um, <laughs> we'll have some we'll have some fun back and forth. I, I suppose because I love New York as a as an idea. I'm just not a fan of living there and walking down the streets. I love streets. New York as an idea. It with with so- look, man. My first my first night there, Jake. I was walking down the street on 33rd and 6th, which is for those uninitiated, two blocks away from Madison Square. Yeah. And I'm walking down the street and I'm like, man, that I'm going to get some like five guys or something. And I'm like, man, that is a pretty big squirrel walking right next to me on the sidewalk. <laughs> it wasn't a squirrel. It was a rat. It was a rat, which is why I turned around and went back to corporate housing and <laughs> went to hungry that if that's my first night in New York, I'm not eating. I'm wearing a Staten Island Pizza Rats t-shirt right now. Ugh. Gotta represent. I, I, guess, oh. I, guess, I guess you're a New Yorker, so it makes sense to y'all. I only had one really bad rat experience in my life. I was walking. It was in Williamsburg. It was, uh, it was uh, right, around, right around the neighborhood, and I had music in, and I heard, like, some, I felt something move under my foot and all of a sudden I realized I was like stepping on a rat and like 
I looked down and I heard it squeal and it was all up on my leg. It was, it was bad, but that was only one time I've lived here since like 2015. It's been, it's been a long time. Only one rat experience. That's, that's a pretty good ratio, man. Ugh. <laughs> I never want to come there again. Like, like put it like this on a list of cities that I'd much rather live at than New York. Boston is number one. I'd rather live in Boston than New York. And Boston is not one of my favorite places on earth. I guess nothing against the Celtics franchise, just Boston as a city. That just strikes me as one of those places that they say that they're welcoming, but they're also telling you to move it along, get on up out of here. <laughs> yeah. In New York. Yeah. Yeah, man. I went to school in Boston for four years. I, uh, I, can't, I grew up a TD Garden, if you will. I became a man from a boy to a man in the bowels of Red Arbeck's house. Um, but no, I think. Let's bring it back onto task with the Nets. Um, and then I want to get to Sarver and Phoenix. Just real quick about Brooklyn, because it is backyard, and you were here yesterday, or Monday, whatever it was. Um, the sense around the team, I mean, the Steve Nash quote of, like, I wasn't overly concerned. I, and frankly, I wasn't overly surprised about KD demanding him to be fired and what have you. And, I mean... Nash's public uh, record of veracity of what he said dating back to the James Harden situation is what it is. <laughs> but <laughs> what what is your sense of the vibes around this team right now? And do you think what what is the more likely outcome that they are a disaster, that they are just decent, that they are a championship contender? Where, where do you fall on that kind of scale? They would have to show me that they're a championship contender. I don't know if I see championship character um, um, amongst them. Because other than Kevin Durant, who is a known commodity that you can depend on from now until not just April, May, or June, but February, do we know that Ben Simmons is going to play? Like, not play well, do we know that he's going to play? And then once he plays you know, how how will his game evolve? You know what I mean? Because as talented and as gifted as you might think that he is, there's still a lot of things there that other teams will exploit. And with Kyrie, of course, it's attendance. And with Kyrie, it's also he has a propensity to get hurt. And we saw what happened uh, last year where after he was allowed to come back to play and everything else, you know, it's easy to play once every three or four days or five days once a week and put up those numbers. But when he had to play every other day against the Celtics, you know, he had that great game one and his performance dwindled and dwindled and dwindled because he wasn't used to playing basketball every other day. And now he's in his thirties. He's not the same, you know, he's not Kyrie Irving out of Duke. Now he's Kyrie Irving with a bunch of miles and a bunch of injuries and question marks on, you know, attendance and how does he affect winning and everything else. So the vibe on this team, everybody's going to be happy on media day, I suppose, unless you're Phoenix. Phoenix did not seem happy on media day. Phoenix seemed gray skies. But if you, I guess if you were unhappy on media day, it's a pretty bad omen, but being happy on media day doesn't mean that you're going to actually be worth anything. So they are going to have to show me they don't have any equity from a coaching perspective from on the floor to the front office, like everybody has to, you know, be honest with themselves and say that until they do it, the only way that you're actually going to believe in them is if you're a fan of the Brooklyn Nets or you are in that locker room. But as far as from a media standpoint, a public standpoint, I have no reason to believe in them. (laughs) Yeah. I'm curious to see how they will respond once some adversity hits to your point because there will be something every team faces it whether it's a major injury or what have you and there's certainly a team such as the los angeles lakers that are very curious to see what happens in terms of could there be a lot of movement coming out of barclays you know um so there's definitely going to be a microscope i think on that situation from a just a transactional standpoint too um, for, in terms of a lot of the talk around the league about what could happen at transaction cycles like the deadline and whatever um, stems from teams hoping certain things go wrong with other teams so they can get a player that they want, right? 
Um, so that's just something I am certainly uh, paying attention to as we head into this new calendar. But I want to wrap this up by getting to Phoenix because basically you kind of hit the nail on the head, whatever it was, a day or two or the day of, um, after whatever the timing was, after Adam Silver laid down his suspension or the league laid down their one-year suspension on Robert Sarver and the press conference where he seemed pretty woefully unprepared to handle the question or the line of questioning that was being presented to him when you know, and or, or maybe maybe our, our listeners don't, but we talked about it with me and Al Hassan at the time, and the commissioner has a whole team preparing points and uh, ideas to get across during those sessions. And that was, it was kind of startling to see him not in uh, such a position of control and poise. Um, and that provoked some questions that I had heard from people in the league about, well, was this kind of what, what it was, what ultimately played out, what they were hoping for, that the suspension would prompt uh, PayPal and LeBron and Chris Paul to call to come out and and force him out because, as you wrote, then it's like it never seemed likely that the any member of of this elusive thirty team and and pretty much not not entirely but it has largely been a thirty uh, white men fraternity like to set up to set their own trap basically it never really seemed like that was going to be a legitimate outcome unless what what unfolded unfolded and that the outcry and the onslaught continued and even then i mean robert sarber kind of painted this point very very pointedly in his statement about selling the team that he kind of just said that cancel culture is the reason why he's selling yeah it was interesting to see him in his statement where and and think about it that's probably the the approved draft of yeah. the statement. <laughs> uh, I'd hate to see what the first draft of defiance looked like. Um, but yeah, I, I think Adam Silver, for, for one, from Adam's standpoint, he was trying to thread a very fine needle. If he went too hard, um, if you went too hard on Robert Sarver, then you risk him being an angry owner going scorched earth on everybody and basically saying, I'll, you know, put everybody's stuff out in the streets. And that isn't good for anybody, no matter how you look at it. It's not, it's not good. It's not fun for anybody. Uh, but maybe he could have. I think here's the crazy thing. If Adam Silver had said, we're suspending him indefinitely or we're suspending him for two years, the public outcry might not have reached such a fever pitch to prompt PayPal and everybody else. You know, maybe in some backhanded way, he wound up getting what he wanted. But I don't know if he had the extreme confidence that all the sponsors were going to pull out. I'm sure he knew Chris Paul was going to say something. I'm sure he knew LeBron was going to say something. But it's hard to tell exactly how corporate sponsors in today's culture where, you know, we've we've put people in high positions who've done similar things, if not far more how those type of people were going to react and how, you know what I mean, corporate CEOs and, you know, everything else, how that was going to sort of take its own form. So he wound up maybe getting, you know, what he wanted in the end. But, yeah, the the scene of him, it he didn't look like he was in firm control. He didn't seem fully confident about what he was doing. And it's perfectly human for him not to feel confident about what he was doing. And thus, you have all these other dominoes that have fallen, whether it's, you know, the Phoenix Suns as a as a franchise, the Phoenix Suns as a basketball team and all these things that have yet to sort of play itself out. Now you have a team on the market that's going to fetch probably two and a half to maybe three billion dollars, which subsequently raises the values of all the other franchises the same way the Clippers oh, yeah. did uh, almost a decade ago. So and yeah, in the end, Robert Sarver will wind up being a wealthier man and people are like, well, he's going to get money for it. Yeah, but you don't got to see it. We don't like, you know, Donald Sterling gets two billion dollars wealthy from all the nonsense that he did. There's plenty of wealthy people with a bunch of isms and it's in front of their name that we never have to see or worry about, especially if you're just concerned in this, you know, in this one silo. You're not going to fix all the world's problems and everything else. But just in, in this silo, if if it if it's happened and then it's journalism, it's Baxter Holmes, it's journalism that yeah. was sort of the spark that lit everything else. Then maybe even just to bring it back to be, to the beginning, 
real journalism is still about it it did something it prompted something to so where yeah. we are today yeah. and i think the undercurrent running through both of these situations with phoenix and with boston goes back to that weird concept that exists in pro sports and that it is this business that's also a part of this public entity like i was trying to explain to my girlfriend at some point in the last uh bit about the philadelphia eagles and why going to a home game at the link feels like going to church because you bump into people from home and it's a ritualistic thing that happens every sunday and it's different in in basketball where there isn't that that kind of routine with it and you know that all these people that you kind of grew up with no matter where you are in the world are kind of scheduling their life around that sunday's game in large part outside of the monday night stuff but i mean people care about the laundry far more than they do about any other business right i mean even if you're like a diehard fan of some band like there's it's just not the same in terms of the amount of events the amount of people that um that it touches and and the competition aspect these people these businesses and the people they employ and the players they employ are kind of in turn representing the community and it really does seem to me also that when teams kind of take on the identity of their area it can work more so than if they're if they're working in juxtaposition or they're just not related at all like i don't think it's a coincidence that the warriors are the warriors and everything they stand for in silicon valley like i don't think that's mutually exclusive um and it just kind of blurs the line of of what the point of the business is at the end of the day because the i mean the point of the business from the nba and the owner side of things is obviously there's printing money and printing a lot of it printing billions of it but there's so much more involved that like that, that that blurs everything into ethics and code of honor and setting an example for the community that I just think sets up for some pretty combustible situations when people necessarily aren't necessarily held accountable or also it's just allowed to exist because you just shrug your shoulder and say it's the NBA. Um, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know where I was trying to stick the landing, but that's all that's all I got on that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that shared undercurrent of the public. Is that, do you buy that? Do you buy that that's part of all, all, all this equation? And then we'll bring on a, our, our caller, Charlie Saturday. I, I think there's something. I think people like to envision the sports team being something more than what it is. And yeah. if it embodies the city, if it embodies a region, if they can see themselves in the narrative of the team, which, you know, they put out, you know, you see even where I live in Detroit, where they say the championship teams that they've had have embodied the city, you know, tough, rough, yeah. rugged, that sort of thing. And, you know, even in L.A., where when they've tried to be something other than star power, it hasn't worked. You know what I mean? Like maybe they're, perhaps perhaps there's something to it, but it's, it, it's you have to, I guess as a city, you have to have, like, I guess, a defined a defined culture, a defined way of, of doing things for a franchise to mean something more than what it is. And mm -hmm. that's just, it's just a byproduct of where you, a byproduct of where you are. And when things like this happen, when the, when these instances happen, it's a reminder that it is a billion dollar business that, and I said it in terms of with Boston and Bill Russell, when Bill Russell passed, and I said, they loved them 48 minutes at a time. Because yeah. when he wasn't in uniform, they didn't really love him like that. So, and in some cases, it's very similar. You know, here, you may not like your local billionaire in any other instance, but if he if he's spending money on your team, going into the tax and making sure that, you know, every advantage is, you know, reached in this goal to win a championship, you think he's doing it for us. He's doing it for the fans. No, he's doing it for himself. You just happen to yeah. like you know what I mean? So in some ways, it's very fantasy. It's very pie in the sky. But if people like to believe in 
into something bigger and this is what they buy and invest themselves into, which also means they buy and invest to what we write and what we say. So we're all part of this bigger, grander ecosystem. I'm not going to pretend that, you know, one hand the other in a lot of different, yeah. that's where you will go. And you stick. Sorry, I lost you at the end there. No, I say, sorry, I can't help you uh, stick the landing there, champ. No, you're good, man. You're good. No, I think, yeah, we're, 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 we are certainly cogs in the, in the big machine. Um, but it's our job to kind of pull back the curtain on how the machine works a little bit, I guess. All right, Charlie, what's going on? Hey, fellas, I'm uh, walking along the lake in one of Vincent's old homes of Chicago. So I apologize for the wind in the background if you hear it. But um, your your conversation, the two teams you touched on in this conversation, the Suns and the Celtics, and some of the stuff came out of media day has me thinking about just the importance of spin and um, you know protecting the narrative and controlling the narrative and presenting it. I'm I'm curious who the two of you feel league wide has the best spin game, whether it's a, a, a <laughs> team or a coach or a player like who even if you can see through it and it's your job to see through it whose spin is like has you guys thinking oh they're they're good at that charlie saturday always asking the good questions and trying to get us in trouble um all i'll say because i already mentioned it i mean i'll just say this what steve did during the james harden trade saga with ben simmons and all that was pretty impressive to me the guy just flat out went out there every single day and denied, 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 said he had no idea they were going to trade James and said they weren't going to trade James. Like it was a masterclass. It really was. And uh, I kind of was impressed by it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I don't know. Any thoughts from you, Viv? Um, he I, sounds like he's asking who's the best politician, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um. I don't. I, that's that's a that's a it's weird. It's a dangerous weird. answer. Don't yeah. It's a dangerous question. Don't fuck your bread up. Oh no, would never. Oh no, 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 no. The, the number one name of the game is don't get fired. Um, <laughs> don't get fired. Don't get reprimanded. Like I feel like there should be a, a class being taught whenever someone signs a contract. You know, yeah. these are the rules to not get fired. I won't say any names, but I'm sure you guys can figure out who needed to take a class called don't get fired or don't get suspended. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's weird. Like, I don't even know if a spin game is, is the, is the word, but there are people who, there are people who understand the ecosystem in which they operate in. There's people who yeah. understand that they sometimes that you got to feed the beast that yeah. if you, if you give the media a little bit of sugar, we won't go digging it. We go, we won't go digging for the vinegar. You know what I mean? So, if if that's the case, then maybe Steve Kerr is really good at, at giving you just enough from a media standpoint, understanding the responsibility that he has in terms of talking to the media, not necessarily giving you the 20 minute filibuster, but giving you something being being a level of a level of transparent without actually putting himself or anybody else in any precarious positions. So I would maybe maybe coach Kurt would be the best at that. Yeah. Interesting. Um, all right. I do not want to keep you for the full hour. So I got one more final question for you. And it is this, I, I had a buddy a long time ago tell me that the best way to interview for a job is to say, when, when you are posed with the question, do you have any questions for me? You say something to the effect of, you know, let's say I got this job and it's my first day. And I come in and I get you a coffee to suck up to you. And I say, hey, I'm happy to be here. But what's the best piece of advice you can give to me? I ask you, Vince Goodwill. What's the best piece of advice for me uh, to be a, a, Yahoo, uh, a Yahoo guy, man? Don't get fired. That's, good <laughs> that's it. That's the best piece. Of Don't do anything that's going to get you fired. Like, I, I think... I think there's a part of, with any, this is just general job advice. What you've done to get you where you are is what you should do to keep you where you are. Like, I don't think anybody has to be anything any different. It has to be anybody else. 
you being you, Jake, has gotten you to some pretty amazing places. And now you're in another amazing place. So be Jake. Yeah, tell it to my mother. He's always telling me to cut my hair. Um, yeah, man, no. Thank you for And that. submit your expenses um, on time. That's what I would say. Submit yeah. your expenses on time. Key thing just there. Apply for the corporate card today. So that will uh that will happen. Um and then my, my other thing I gotta do with her let you go. No strip clubs um, on the uh expense card to <laughs> make sure. You know what? I say this I say this on the record for anyone in the public to hear. I, Jake Fisher, have never been to a strip club in my entire life. Never seen the appeal. Never seen it. And and I'll further it by saying I was at a concert over the weekend with glow sticks in my hands and I threw them in the air like I was throwing money. And I said, now I feel the joy that someone must feel throwing dollars in the air at a strip club. But I felt it throwing glow sticks in the woods at a concert. So that it just never, I don't know. It's never been appealing to me. I don't know why. I don't think throwing glow sticks and throwing dollars is one and the same, but hey. <laughs> it's not the same at all. That was the point. <laughs> um, the last thing before we go, because this is what I do every time. It's only fair. I asked you a bunch of questions for nearly an hour, and you weren't prepared for any of them. So uh, <laughs> do you want to return the favor? Do you want to put me on the hot seat? No, I'm not I'm not a hot seat. I'm not a hot seat type of guy, to be perfectly is honest. Just, is there anything you want to ask? It doesn't have to be a hot one. No, no, no. It's I, I guess <laughs> – no, I'm, I'm pretty – you know, I'm learning, you know, it's the difference between when you're when you're watching someone's work and you're reading their stuff compared to when you have to work with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm just learning more about your own, you know, thought processes as we've had this today. So I'm sure I'll pick your brain just in general um, yeah. as as everything goes on. But um, I'm glad to have you aboard. Like, I don't think that's a question, but I'm, I'm glad to. <laughs> call you a teammate yeah man me too it's uh it's gonna be great we'll definitely talk more off air and uh yeah you're a real one and it's 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 truly an honor to be fighting alongside you so i appreciate you popping on here we'll definitely be collaborating a lot in the future and before you get out of here if there is anything of our company's work your work that you would like to plug and highlight please feel free to do so Nothing really. I mean, I wrote something on the, the Nets Media Day with, with Kevin Durant, and I'll be uh, writing something as soon as we get off about uh, another Nets figure that kind of goes underneath the radar. So whenever that is done, it'll be uh, popping up on the Yahoo Sports website and app uh, wherever you get your, you know, your CDs and tapes uh, <laughs> of NBA content today. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thank you for joining me, man. Welcome back. Welcome to the new season. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. We'll be back on Friday at 4 Eastern with our other teammate, our other new teammate, uh, Dan Devine. So we're making it a family affair this week. Uh, Yeah. Thanks, Vince. I'll talk to you soon, man. Appreciate it, man. Thanks again. Later, guys.